Emerging writers, welcome back. We're so glad to have you join us as we open up our second book and delve further into the different genres of writing. Each month, we'll focus on a different genre of storytelling between the various fiction formats of storytelling and those more factual in nature. To jumpstart us on this new format, we'll be diving right into fantasy, a topic we've already covered, though less in depth, in a previous episode. Stephanie, if you want to give an overview. Yeah. So... Fantasy, by its very nature, typically features some form of magic and or supernatural or mythological elements and creatures. As it incorporates elements that are decidedly unrealistic and imaginative, it, I would argue, is one of the most detached genres from reality. Next, I would argue, would be sci-fi. Uh, typically, it's set in the medieval time period. There are exceptions, urban Fantasy is a pretty big subgenre that is set more in uh, like a modern day setting. But for most of what will come to mind for fantasy, it's going to be that epic fantasy that is set in a medieval setting. Popular examples would be Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, and Game of Thrones. Those are the really big ones still and or right now for fantasy. Like I said, there's subgenres for fantasy, like urban fantasy, and because fantasy is such an encompassing genre in itself, it has the rather unique ability to take over basically any other genre simply by being involved with it. Basically, by definition, fantasy is nearly limitless, and despite often incorporating common tropes, it just as commonly turns things on their head to keep things fresh. So world building is a major aspect of it as well, uh, along with all of those mythical creatures and magic and stuff like that. So fantasy actually goes back a really long ways. We have examples of types of fantasy storytelling through like Homer with all of the Greek gods and those sort of mythological stories and sailors telling stories of mermaids and other creatures of myth. The oldest known fantasy tale that we have is the story of Gilgamesh. It was believed he was actually a real man at some point who lived somewhere during the late 2000 BC. Uh, in his story, he's a partial immortal who is a very cruel man. The gods end up creating a friend for him out of clay who's super wild, but is supposed to balance him by being like a really kind person. And they're thought process was that this friend would help him not be as cruel in the world but they end up going on these like uh trip trips <laughs> adventures together and wrecking havoc upon the world and so the gods kill the best friend and Gilgamesh goes on this epic quest to try and bring his friend back to life and immediately fails and has to live the rest of his life just dealing with the consequences of his actions, basically. So oh, no. that's the first fantasy tale we have. That is intense. <laughs> <laughs> what a dark tone. <laughs> a lot of those older Greek sorts of stories tended to end with tragedy. Mm. Not all of them, but it definitely wasn't uncommon for tragedy to be a major element within them. For sure. So jumping forward a few years, <laughs> the first published fantasy tale, uh, that basically founded fantasy 
was from a man called George MacDonald. In 1863, he published his first book called David Elgin, El- Elginbrod. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. It, I guess, could be considered kind of an urban fantasy because it was set within that time period, mm. but it incorporated a lot of mythical elements and magical creatures and stuff like that. He was a mentor for Lewis Carroll and actually influenced both C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, who, (laughs) as I'm sure we're all aware, (laughs) basically established what we know about epic fantasy and fantasy as a whole today. Like He set the tone for what fantasy is now with his stories of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and stuff like that. Uh, Fantasy is typically written in the third person point of view and can switch between multiple characters. Sometimes you'll just have one, but oftentimes there will at least be some secondary characters that you'll see their point of view occasionally, if not having more than one pretty main character who would get their point of view. Um, They're not all third person, there are some that are first, but most often it's gonna be in the third person point of view because that point of view makes it easier to incorporate more of the world building in a way that is organic and you just get that kind of like aerial view like when you want to set up cool scenes with like uh, weird transitions and stuff it's easier to imagine in your head when it's in third person like if you were going to watch a movie and you get those cool action shots or whatever Mm -hmm. that's kind of what it's allowed to do or able to do. I would say the first person I've read tends towards more urban fantasy or magical realism, Mm -hmm. which ties in with that because there's not as much complex world building necessary with some of those genres. Not that they don't have it, but you can stick to one character's eyes and still get a good feel of the world because it's a similar world to the one we live in. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, to give Stephanie a break from explaining everything, Jordan, why don't you talk a little bit about what's lacking in the fantasy genre? Uh, One thing I think a lot of fantasy does not have is a setting that's not European in nature, especially things written by Americans focus on Europe and how that culture worked. And if there's anything else mentioned, it's always side cultures that aren't delved into and are just kind of a side note. Um, I think they also have a lack of diversity, whether it's racial or homogenousness within their races. Everything is sort of similar to what we have. Yeah, I've definitely read quite a few fantasy books where instead of a variety of races, you just have all of the white humans and then elves and orcs and other species. And I just think that's not often very reflective of the way that would work if those other species also existed. Yeah, it's a lot of times treated like humans are all like this. Mm -hmm. They have these traits and they all act and think like this. And And then elves are all like this. (laughs) Like all of these different races are made up of like copy and pasted the same person. Especially like that's especially awful when it's all of the species is evil mm-hmm. all like of the orcs. giants all of the orcs yeah and it's like hey why don't you slow down that doesn't like there could be a, a nice orc. <laughs> maybe they don't all just want to fight like just like all the elves probably aren't like cold and distant like i'm sure some of them branch out yeah so a lot of times in fantasy 
that that tends to be something that's overlooked because it's easier to just well they're not a focal point as a whole race so we don't need to delve into this yeah the hobbits like in lord of the rings the hobbits have a lot more differential personalities and types than anything else yeah i think it makes sense within the context of a world perhaps for a whole culture to view a species or race as all similar because Mm -hmm. that's how people tend to work by default which is not great but then there should be moments that hint at disproving that to be true even if it's just a few little quirks here and there with a side character that are unexpected. Yeah, I agree with that. I also don't see a lot of the general representation of different types of people, like with disabilities or different identities. Mm. That's not something that's well addressed in the fantasy realm. Sexual identities are slowly getting more addressed, but it's usually only in books that are specifically written to provide that representation. It hasn't hit mainstream media and books. Like, you don't very often still see just a character who is gay. And then that's just that. Like, (laughs) I think even when you do see that in fantasy, even when there are some characters that aren't straight, it's interesting that most authors treat sexuality in the same way that their worldview or the like modern world does. Mm-hmm. even if it might not fit the rest of your world building. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true of like disabilities or different sexual or gender identities or following the gender norms. It's all often very similar to the way our world is set up, which is fine if the rest of your fantasy world is very similar, but sometimes you'll deviate dramatically in cultural customs and backstory and world history but then all of the cultural norms are very similar to modern America. Yeah, that's, yeah, that definitely shows a lack of attention to detail in the world building, which we touched on in a, our most previous episode in our last season. Mm-hmm. Just as a, a last thought on like disabilities, they're either not touched on at all, which is the <laughs> most common. People with disabilities usually don't exist. And if they do have something like, I don't know, they've lost an eye, it's not really addressed at all. Like, yeah, or they just have a mechanical one, like, yeah. oh, they have a cyber eye, you know. They can still see. Well, maybe not the cyber eye in fantasy. Well, but I guess that would be more in sci-fi. Yeah. But it's either not addressed at all, like it's sidelined as, oh, this is just what they look like or, or something like that. But also, it's not interpreted in a way that makes sense for the world. Like, if you have someone who can't walk or maybe they're paralyzed and can't use their arms, but you're in a world where people can control things with their minds because of magic, (laughs) probably people wouldn't see that as an actual disability because they can still do things the same as everyone else. Maybe everyone just picks things up with their mind magic, so you don't really need your arms. Yeah, that's a really good point. Oftentimes, I find it really quite rare to see disabilities at all in fantasy that I read, but when it pops up, it is not usually treated in a unique way that fits the world. Yeah. Relationships also tend to be pretty shallow, like romantic ones a lot of times. At least if it's either a one-off story or the very first book of a series, relationships are kind of like sidelined to be developed. And so it takes a lot of time for them to start building romantically, I've noticed. 
Yeah, I think there's often a couple of relationships that are well-developed within a first or one-off, but it is rarely the romantic subplot in a fantasy book. (laughs) That's one of the things that makes it hard for me to get into fantasy because I really like personal relationships and romance in books, and a lot of fantasy focuses quite a bit more on the world-building, so it's hard for me to find one that I really enjoy. That's why... I'm a fan of urban fantasy that always has a juicy amount of romance. (laughs) Okay, let's talk fantasy books. My personal recommendation, as you can probably anticipate, is Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but here's my pitch for it. In a rural town, the innkeeper Coat leads a simple life along with his student Bast. Coat was the famous Coat, a legendary musician, fighter, and magic user, but has fallen into a more obscure and, frankly, sadder life. And so the book alternates between his current life and him telling the story of the life before and then a first-person snapshot of the life that he led before as he was becoming some famous legend. It's a book that unfolds a really rich world and a complex past. I started to try and read Name of the Wind at some point because it was so highly recommended by Kayla. And I don't know, I I get into specific moods for certain types of books. And if a book doesn't fit what I feel like I need in that moment, I can't get into it. And it was just a little too in depth of a book at the time. I wanted something that was a little bit of an easier, simpler read that you can just quickly get through. This one had a bit of a, a learning curve, it felt like, for the world building and the characters. Yeah, Name of the Wind is a really long, dense fantasy book, but it's fantastic. If you want to look at world building, you should look there. And if you want to look at careful writing, you should also look at Name of the Wind because Patrick Rothfuss is a bit of a perfectionist and has spent a long time with the drafts of these books before they got published. And so every chapter is very intentional even down to like every paragraph feels pretty intentional and the word choice and the sentence structure it can be a little bit dense and it does have a bit of lore to really dive into but I think it's a fantastic example for looking at how thoughtful you can structure a story and a narrative and looking at how complex you can make your world without it falling into the category of like world building that's just being like spewed at the reader. Mm -hmm. The way the world gets unfolded feels very cleverly done. I have not read it or looked (laughs) at it, but I assume eventually when I stop reading fluff pieces that I will look at (laughs) into the book. So never. (laughs) You never know. I like my romance books. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, fantasy has proven to not be exactly my cup of tea, but I do enjoy the concepts. My personal recommendation, uh, as no one will be surprised if they've listened to our previous recordings as well, is Green Rider by Kristen Britton. It's at present probably my favorite series of fantasy. I picked it up just off of a bookshelf. I didn't know anything about it. I just liked the cover. So the story starts off following our main character, Kerrigan, on her journey home to talk to her father about her likely expulsion from school because she got in a fight. And she ends up coming face-to-face with a dying green rider who is a royal messenger for the king. 
and he makes her promise to take up his mantle and deliver a message that basically holds the fate of the kingdom in it. So the whole first book is following her journey as she basically races to the castle to try and deliver this message. And she's got weird, like apparition creatures following her, like some some strange cloaked figure that's following her. And then also she runs into characters from another kingdom that is trying to start a war that tries to kill her. <laughs> and some gross spiders. <laughs> and a really disgusting spider which may or may not be a trope in fantasy. <laughs> I feel like it should've, is. Should have written that down for later in this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. It has a really good balance, I feel, between intense and action scenes and like quieter, fun moments. There's some really quirky characters that she runs into when she does run into characters, although a lot of it is just her with, her horse as they travel through this first one but as the series progresses more and more characters are introduced who are all really great and I feel like they all feel like they have purpose and are really well fleshed out and there's a lot of really great relationship dynamics that end up developing between her and her best friend and like romantic stuff that gets further developed and hinted at and stuff like that. Yeah, I read, I would say, the first half of this, and I liked the writing and I liked the premise, but because so many of the character interactions were pretty brief, I'm sure they expand on it more in future books, but because she's on this message message delivery, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why my brain couldn't come up with words, Uh, because she's on this quest that requires her quickly getting from place A to place B, As things delay that or prevent that, she'll have interesting interactions with characters, but then move on and leave to the solo mission some more. And I just like character relationships a little bit too much to get into that. I know at some point I need to finish the book so that I can read the sequels that I presume have more of that. Mm -hmm. But that was a little bit of a stumbling block for me. Well, I've read it. I liked it. I haven't read the others, but I really enjoyed the book. I thought Carrion was a really, really interesting main character. She was well-written. I liked the sort of mystery going on and what was going on in the background of the story and how it unfolded. And the action was not too intense for me as it sometimes can be. So it was pretty fun to read. One that I recommend has a little bit more of the romance that I'm always looking for in books. (laughs) Um, It's called A Court of Thorns and Roses, and it's by Sarah J. Moss. And it's basically a fantasy retelling of Beauty and the Beast set in a world full of, like, fae creatures. And after killing one, Feyre, uh, who's a human who lives on the other side of the divide that separates the two worlds, she's forced into the fae realm, into the castle of Tamlin, the High Lord of the Spring Court, And she has to deal with the consequences of what happens to a human who kills one of the fae. And it was really, really engaging read. It was one I couldn't put down and I burned through the entire series of them along with Kayla. It was really engaging, I guess, and well-written. I really liked Feyre's character. She was a strong female and there was a lot of interesting things going on in the background, like the political systems. There was always hinting at something deeper and dirtier going on in the background of this beautiful castle full of like beautiful people and it was just interesting learning about the different types of fey creatures and how they all interact so that was one I was able to read and really enjoy 
Yeah, this is one of the favorite books that I've read this year. I really like the mix of fantasy and the kind of fey world being the author's unique take on it. She pulled from a lot of what you see in fairy stories, but it felt very original and the storyline that it follows is fantastic too. I really liked the relationship dynamics too. It was just the right amount of romance and then platonic relationships Mm -hmm. And the romantic relationships felt real and tangible and had understandable problems in a way that a lot of fantasy does not do. I really like that sort of um, like court intrigue and Mm -hmm. political intrigue and stuff like that whenever it's delved into. I just find it really fun. I don't know. Actual politics is not that interesting to me, but also I'm not going to go to a ball dressed in fancy garb and try to eavesdrop on people, you know? (laughs) It feels delightfully gossipy. Like there's there's something (laughs) satisfying about gossip, except in the real world, it's terrible because gossip can be pretty like harmful and petty. But but fantasy fictional gossip with magic and spies, like, yes. (laughs) I always really loved spies growing up. I wanted to be a spy when I was growing up. So getting that sort of aspect within stories, I think, is really fun. Those sorts of like political intrigue things are actually pretty common in fantasy stories as well. If it's not going to be some sort of big epic where they're going on some huge quest and it's stationed in like one specific area like castle or court or whatever a lot of times there'll be some sort of intrigue involved whether it's the main focus or not Mm -hmm. so I would say that's one of one of the common tropes within fantasy I agree there's often an element of that I feel like if you're if you get the kind of medieval fantasy there's always going to be royalty and oftentimes some of the main characters are at least minor royalty so you get a good taste of that. Yeah, the the secretly royal is a big trope. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like your your main character or an important side character was an orphan, but then you find out that they were actually royalty. There's a long lost prince or princess. <laughs> or even more than that, the Cinderella royalty story mm-hmm. where the servant nothing main character falls in love with the prince or princess. Yeah, and becomes the next queen. <laughs> becomes the next magic fairy queen. They oh, fight through yes. all of the trials of their respective like positions and how they can't be together and come their, out in the end. Their love will restore the magical imbalance in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> I've read that more than once. <laughs> There's also a lot of damsels in distress and like Mary Sue heroic characters within fantasy. Yeah. Uh, it's really easy for the main character to end up being way too good at way too many things because that character is usually also the prophesied savior of the world. And so they just need to be really good at everything in order to pull it off. I will say, I don't mind reading about someone who has a lot of skill and is good at things as long as they have an equal amount of flaws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, too often, fantasy writers will give someone all of the skills and none of the flaws and hangups. Yeah. Or they have an overpowered character and they just kind of 
conveniently have some sort of hold up when they could be used to fix the problem. They're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done this. Well, we'll just say you're busy or you're dead. Oh, like the mentor? <laughs> yeah. A mentor is pretty typical in a fantasy. Mm -hmm. And they're, I mean, they have to start out pretty powerful usually because not only are they providing uh, like spiritual or, or knowledge guidance for the hero, but usually also training for fighting or magic or whatever and so they have to start out much stronger and much more intelligent or crafty or whatever well if they're so powerful what do we need the hero for so <laughs> like usually <what>? they die <laughs> yeah soon soon after the training is over or before the training finishes so that there's still some stake of the character not feeling ready mm. <laughs> yeah i feel like there's also like huge like broad lines of good and evil in the fantasy genres like there's a definite line between who's good and who's not. It's very mm -hmm. black and white a lot of times. We have been starting to move away from that though. Culturally, people are starting to like more gray area villains. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Game mm -hmm. of Thrones or, I mean the show, but then also the, the book series, Song of Ice and Fire, I think is what the actual book series is called. And Game of Thrones is just one of the books, um, but there's a lot of gray characters mm -hmm. in general. Everyone's kind of morally gray. Yeah, magical races are also very common in fantasy. And again, as we touched on before, they often lack diversity and complexity. <laughs> I think magical races are a necessity of yes. fantasy, not just super common. I don't, I feel like it's part of the defining aspect of it. I mean, I've read some stuff that's all just like magic users or like humans who use that's magic, true. but that's kind of like a, like almost mutation on human, like mm. a yeah. beyond human class of people. Kind of more like could fall into the realm of sci-fi. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Anyways, typically for traditional, definitely fantasy, fantasy you see the mix of races. I feel like one of the main ones, one that doesn't really do other races, although there are still a few, is like Harry Potter, where there's humans and then humans with magic, you know? But well, it's still but not a still huge... still like house elves. Yeah. There's, there's second-class are... races. Oh, yeah, yeah. They definitely treat all the other races like they're just beasts and not people. So it's, Yeah, werewolves it's, and yeah, house Not elves handled and... well, or at least it kind of makes sense in the world that it's in, but you have to be so careful if you're going to do that. Yeah, I think it's written okay, but uh, there's definitely, as time has moved past that, been a couple of points of it. But moving on, another thing that I notice in most of the book fantasy books I read is a adventure group or team of characters. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they'll be kind of specialized, like a D&D party, where they'll be the magic user and the fighter and the, the elf boy. <laughs> did you say the elf boy? <laughs> the I elf did. Boy. <laughs> and don't forget about the elf boy. Who has no skills whatsoever. He's just there to be pretty. Hey, he's got those pointy ears, ladies. <laughs> Why did I not just stop talking and let you say the strategist? Sometimes I wonder. <laughs> My brain was just like, I'm going to finish the thought. And the thought was elf boy. <laughs> well, I think that about wraps it up. And to aid in our discussion of fantasy, we're going to, at the end of this month, be discussing the book Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. 
at the end of every month, we're going to be recording a special episode to discuss everything that stuck with us from a piece of media within the genre, whether that's a short story, a novel, or a movie. And so you're welcome to join us in reading it if you'd like. A link will be in the description. And if you have any other great fantasy suggestions, feel free to hit us up on Facebook at Writers Emerging or join us on Tumblr, Instagram, or Twitter. All of the links in the description. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.